All right, all right. Let's move into our series, Curious. Curious, God's answers to your curious questions. Today we're going to talk about the Bible, and I've just titled this Bible 101, 101. Now, here's, here's what I want us to kind of grasp, and it's really important for us to begin this series, because we're going to talk about things like healthy relationships, wise choices. Uh, we're going to talk about on the 4th of October, you ready for this, how would Jesus vote? <laughs> I know, I know. You go, man, you are, you are daring to tread where angels would fear to tread. Well, maybe so, but honestly, and I've even had some questions back in, in the responses, I don't think Jesus would vote. Well, that, that's, I understand that perspective. But I do believe God's word has something to say to us. Or let me just back up. God has something to say to us about these topics and others. And it's really important for us to, to come to this place of, of perspective or what, what is the foundation for which we can find the answers that God has for us? Now, it'd be one thing for us to just jump in and start giving answers from God's perspective, and that would be appropriate. But I felt it very, very necessary that I take one of these, one of these Sundays, one of these weekends, and just talk about what the foundation is for God giving us this answer. Where are we going to find those answers? And it's really important to understand that the Bible, the Bible is, here's the way I would say it, is our rule of faith in life. It is what I base my life on. It's what, it's where I find direction and help. And so I want to leave you with a phrase this morning, and I'm going to take just a minute with it. I'm going to read it a couple of times because I want you to get this. And really, if you can get this phrase, you really have the essence of the message. Now, don't be tempted to say, oh, good, I can go do something else. No, no, no. You got to stay with me for the next two or three hours. I'm teasing. Just about another uh, 30 minutes or so. So hang with me. But here's the phrase. Rather than making the mistake of interpreting the Bible through culture's lens, culture should be interpreted through the Bible's lens, allowing, hear this, allowing an unchanging God to inform an ever-changing society. One more time. Rather than making the mistake of interpreting the Bible through culture's lens, culture should be interpreted through the Bible's lens, allowing an unchanging God to inform an ever-changing society. That is so important. Because this incredible book becomes the filter, as it were, of everything that we're going to face. And it has answers for us. So, I leave you with this. God's word provides answers to our curious questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to ask three questions and then answer them to give you a little bit of background. Now, I want to just let you know that today's message is a little bit more teachy. It's just a little bit more instructive. And I did that intentionally. It is that, it is that way purposefully. And there's a great application at the end, but I want you to hold with me on the teaching side of this because it's really important. The first question is, the Bible, what is it? Well, the word Bible itself 
is, is not in the Bible. The, the word Bible just means book. And so what we have is a collection of 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And the, it was written over a period of about 1,500 years. Now look at this, 1,500 years, 40 different authors or 40 different individuals who penned it, and it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Now you look at that and you go, man, what a mess that would be. I mean, can you, can you imagine? I mean, I sometimes have, have difficulty writing in my journal, you know, to keep everything straight. So you look at this, and you, initially you say, that's just, that's a mess. So, so think of it like this. When I think of pulling together 40 different writers over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages and having them write 66 different books, that sounds like some serious trouble. However, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, this book might seem from the outside to be confusing and difficult to, to find consistency and continuity. However, what we discover as you read it and study it is that it is incredibly, there's an incredible amount of consistency and continuity. And really, you see a thread that is woven from Genesis all the way through Revelation of God and his desire to reconcile us to him. That's the story of the Bible. And it is a marvelous, it's a marvelous story. And what this does for us, it really provides for us, I guess you could say, some internal evidence or internal consistency is a better way of saying. And it's powerful evidence that the author's of these 66 different books were being guided by God. And that's the miracle of it all. We're going to talk about that more. But there is a continuity and a consistency. And really, when you think about it, this is a book that is miraculous in its, in its creation. So you might also be thinking, well, you know, Gary, I... I have a King, I'm familiar with like the King James Version of the Bible and the, all of these and the vows, vows and the, uh, you, know, you know, that's really hard to read. I can't kind of get my arms around that. Well, I had to completely understand it. And so what has happened over the period of time is that a number of translations and paraphrase have been created. A translation is just that. They have taken the original manuscripts that we have in our possession and then it has been translated from the original languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic into a more contemporary language. Or in, in framework of the King James, that was in 1611. So now, 409 years later, we have the benefit of additional manuscript evidence for a variety of reasons, one of them being something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there's a little homework for you. Look up the Dead Sea Scrolls and see what you discover. And there's other manuscript evidence that has come to light. And so what has happened is Bible translators have created for us contemporary language, language that we use today that is still very true to the original language. And this is what's important. This is the difference between a translation and a paraphrase. A translation is taken from the original documents, the original languages. A paraphrase is really just that. It's what the author believes is being said. Now, both have value, 
but I would encourage you to find a good, solid translation. If you're good with the King James, you're good. But you might want to consider something like the New Living Translation or the New International Version of the Bible. These are translations that can help you and put the language of Scripture into everyday language. The second question that I'd like to answer this morning is the Bible. Can it be trusted? And that is such a, that's a powerful question because if we're establishing the Bible as something to be, uh, to answer our questions, to give us a foundation, how might we discover that? Well, I want to give you three things real quick that'll give you just a little bit more of the reason why we can trust it. The first is this, the manuscript evidence. Now, what does that mean? Well, as I, I just mentioned a moment ago about these original manuscripts or what are called the autographs. And there are, there's literally, there's just tons of these manuscripts. Now, what, is, what, what happened is over, the, over a course of time, you had the original document, like let me just use the Gospel of John, for example. And it was written down. Well, then a scribe would make a copy of that. And then it would be passed down. And then another scribe would make a copy. And these were meticulously copied down through decades and centuries. So what ends up happening with this manus these manuscripts over a period of time, you can just imagine that there might be little subtle changes here and there, right? Well, in fact, over the period of time it was discovered, and there are individuals who take this as a hobby, as a pursuit, as a, as a discipline. It's called textual criticism. And so what they discovered is that over the period of time, in the original, in these, all of these manuscripts, so if you have this big basket of manuscripts, in that basket, you have 200,000, ready for this? 200,000 what are called variants. Now, what is a variant? A variant, does it mean that it's a mistake? No, it just means it's variant. It's different than. So, Say, for instance, you gave 10 individuals a copy of the Gospel of John, and you had each one of them write it. You probably have a misspelled word, a left out word. I do that all the time. And I, I also have this thing with when I'm typing that I'll reverse, I'll reverse letters, and I'll look back and say, how in the world can I keep doing that? That's what we're talking about, is a variant. 200,000 of them, you say, man, that's significant, Gary. What, how then can the manuscripts provide evidence for the reliability of the scripture that we can actually trust it. Well, here's what has happened over the years. A couple of Bible scholars by the name of Westcott and Hort, what they did is they researched these variants. They took these 200,000, and I can't even imagine that, but that's what they did. They took them, and they started working their way through them, and here's what they discovered. That Literally, the vast majority, and I'm going to tell you how the vast majority, how vast it actually is, 98.3% of the variants were trivial. In other words, it was a misspelling. It was a word that was left out. It was a, a misplaced sentence. So when I look at that, I'm going, oh, wow. So 1.7% have any credibility even, even to discuss. Now, that's pretty trustworthy. That's pretty significant. Then another church historian by the name of Philip Schaff, here's what he did. He estimated, as he looked at this same information, he estimated that only 400 of those variants, 400 out of 200,000, okay, get, the, get the perspective and the percentage, 
400 out of 200,000 affected the sense of the passage. So in other words, it would have a little bit of, a, of an effect on that passage of Scripture, but only 400. But look at this. But only 50 of the 400 had any importance. So his conclusion, and if you're a statistician out there, I think you would have to agree with Philip Schaff. Here's what he said. He asserted that not one, not one affected an article of faith or precept of duty. Do we understand the significance of that? That what we have contained in these manuscripts and then what has been discovered does not affect your faith or that which the scriptures are purporting to be important. One more, Dr. Gordon Fee. He, here's what he concluded viewing the same evidence and studying in the same field. Over 90% of all the variations to the New Testament are resolved. In other words, he's put it to rest. So here's the, matter of, here's the fact of the matter. No textual variance in either the Old or the New Testaments in any way, shape, or form materially disrupt or destroy any essential doctrine of the Christian faith. I want to tell you something. That is powerful. And that just tells me that I can trust, I can trust the Word of God. It's trustworthy because of the manuscript evidence. The second is the prophetic evidence. The prophetic evidence. There's a man by the name of Fritz Reidenauer, and he, again, is a biblical scholar, writes and, and does these kinds of disciplines. He said, the, the Old Testament contains over 300 references. This is fabulous. Over 300 references to the Messiah. Okay, that's Jesus. The Old Testament, 300 references to the Messiah. Ready for this? That were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you just look at the book of Isaiah, about 700 years before Jesus was born, just the prophecies in Isaiah, they were fulfilled in the life of Jesus as the Messiah. If computations using the science of probability on just eight of those prophecies, the science of probability on just eight of those prophecies, are you ready? Show the chance that someone could have fulfilled all eight prophecies is 10 to the 17th power or one in one <laughs> One in 100 quadrillion. My goodness. The, prof, the prophetic evidence is profound. One more. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 28, this is what we read. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem, and he will say, restore the temple. You say, okay, that's that's good. I mean, okay, what, what difference does that make? <laughs> you ready for this? Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus doing what he is just doing, or saying right here, 100 years before he was born, and he called him by name. Prophetic evidence. Significant. So manuscript evidence, prophetic evidence, one more. The human evidence. The human evidence. Have you ever gone to a website, for example, you may be, you're checking out this particular organization or that, you know, group or whatever, and you, you go to their website and you see the about thing, so you click on about, and here's what, and here's what you discover. You know, you're going to find out about the, the, what they do, what their organization is all about, and maybe, 
maybe you're going to even look at what their founders are all about. And I'm going to just go out on a limb and say it this way. Most, I know all of the time, you're not going to find anything that is necessarily negative about the founders of that organization. It's just, it's just not there. They, they had, dude, you're, not, you're only going to see all of the good stuff. Trust me on that one because you, know you know it to be true. But the Bible, not so much. You know what is so interesting? Over and over, the biblical writers tell us about the failures and weaknesses of prime personalities. People like Noah and his drunkenness. Abraham and his lying. Moses and the murder of a man. David's adultery and subsequent murder of, of, her, of, the, of Bathsheba's husband. Peter denying Jesus. This kind of transparency strengthens the case that the Bible can be trusted. When someone tells me we can't trust the Bible because, you know, of people, what, what ends up happening here is we have this incredible transparency and then you say, well, you can't trust it because people wrote it. Just because something was written by man doesn't mean it can't be trusted because if that's the case, then we got to throw out manuals and encyclopedias, et cetera, et cetera, all of the things that have been written. No, men are capable of communicating truthfully and especially when they have the help and the guidance of God. The third question I want to answer this morning is the Bible. What does it say about itself? And this is really an important, this is where the bulk of our time together is going to be spent. Because it really helps us understand how important the scriptures are to providing us reliable, a reliable source from which we can have questions answered. The first is this, it's a despised book. You say, well, Gary, what, is, what does that have to do with whether or not I can, you know, really depend upon Scripture? Well, I, could, I guess I could say it this way. There's probably, there is no other book in the history of humanity that has been as ridiculed, maligned, that empires and em emperors and authorities that have dishonored, tried to dishonor and discredit and even forbid God's word from being distributed, read. There are some countries even today, you cannot bring a physical Bible into that country. Why is that? Why is that? What, what is it that when totalitarian governments have overwhelmed a free society, they have banned this book? Why have they burned this book? It's despised. Why? Well, I would, I would suggest it's because it has the words of life and truth. And the scriptures counteract that which is evil and that which is of the adversary of our souls. That It pushes against Satan himself. It pushes against evil. It exposes sin. And I'm going to tell you, there are some that just don't like that. In fact, they have stopped counting how many Bibles have been sold. And as of 2015, it was estimated that 5 billion have been sold. It's still the number one bestseller, even though it's been forbidden, maligned, discredited, dishonored, all of that to be true. Listen to what 2 Chronicles 36 says. But they mocked God's messengers and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. 
me just stop there. Do you notice the language that the chronicler gives us? They despised his words. Those who have not come to faith in Christ, those who don't know God, despise his words. Because it exposes our intent, our hearts, which the scriptures tell us are just, they're evil, despiteful, wicked. But look, and he says, until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no, and there was no remedy. When we despise the word of God, there's no other place to turn. We really set ourselves against God himself. Well, also, Bible, it's a guide for life, is what we learn. It's a guide for life. Have you ever been lost? I was thinking about this. I, I gotta say, I have. I've been lost. You say, Gary, we know you. You are lost right now, dude. We get no, 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 no. Stop. That's not what I mean. When I would think it was. I think it was 14, a freshman in high school. Some buddies of mine and I went fishing with our with the dads. My dad didn't go. It was one, two dads and like three of us, and we went. And so they dropped us off and said, "Hike that direction, and you'll find the lake." And I'm thinking, we went. We were gonna go fishing. We didn't come to hike. I don't know what these guys. I guess they didn't want to be around three teenagers. I don't know. So they told us, go that direction. We walked, I don't know, it seemed like we walked for hours, and we never did find the lake. We never did get to fish. We got lost. We're out in the middle of nowhere, absolutely lost. And I'm telling you, it is really frustrating to not know your direction in life. You just don't know which way to go. Listen to what Psalm 119, verse 105 tells us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. I want to tell you, there's something very significant about having a light on the pathway when things are dark, to know which way to go. It guides, it guides us. It guides us in life. The third thing that the Bible says is that it's eternal. It's eternal. I, I don't know if you remember geography. I don't even know if they teach geography anymore, you know, in school. But one of the things that geography teaches you is how to identify variety of things, but countries on a map, on a globe. Well, you know what's interesting? Have you noticed that maps change? Uh, things, countries like Yugoslavia, they don't exist anymore. They were broken up into all of these different, uh, different countries. Uh, you, you know, Rhodesia, some of you may not even recognize that name. I played basketball with a, a friend in college who, from Rhodesia at that point. It's now Zimbabwe. They changed their name. Have you ever heard of the nation of Sikkim? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. S-I-K-K-I-M. I don't know how to pronounce it. It no longer exists. It was swallowed up by another nation. The point is, you look at that and you say, everything changes. And maybe in another year, five years, ten years, things will change again. But one thing that doesn't change is God's word. It's unchanging. It's eternal. And because it's eternal, we can, it has a reliability factor because it doesn't change. And that's why that first statement that we began with is that Scripture is that which helps. It's the filter by which we, we can put our questions through. It helps us understand the unchanging nature of God. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8 says, Grass dies, grass dies, and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. It's eternal. It's eternal also, the scriptures, they're trustworthy. 
The Bible is trustworthy. The evidence that we shared a little bit earlier, whether that was the human evidence or manuscript evidence or prophetic evidence, really what it does, it reinforces the trustworthiness of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I, and I think I would probably speak for probably everyone. We like people that we can trust. There's something about sitting down with somebody and just knowing everything you share with them, it's safe, trustworthy. And it is so encouraging to me that I can study, I can read, I can meditate, I can reflect upon the Word of God. I can be challenged by the Word of God at the deepest parts of my life and know that I can trust what's there, that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be cast aside. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to be corrected. I'm going to be helped. I might even get rebuked, but I can trust it because at the end of it all, what's God's desire? And that is to have a relationship with me. God's word reveals how that happens. It is so important. Ezekiel 12 and verse 25 says, for I, the Lord, will speak. And look at this. And whatever and whatever word I speak will be accomplished. Whatever word I speak will be accomplished. God's word is trustworthy. Also, God's word, it creates belief. It creates belief. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 provide for us really the, the key verses to the gospel of John. Listen to what John records. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now look at this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It creates belief. What John recounted in his, in his story of Jesus statements that Jesus made, miracles that Jesus performed, conversations that Jesus had. And he says, these are written, these are written so that you would believe, you would believe. You see, Scripture creates belief. I'm going to give you some names. Casey Diaz, Bonnie Barnett, Steve Bresson, Elio Fernandez. You probably don't know any of them. I don't. I don't, but listen to this. Casey was given a New Testament when he was in prison. Steve Bresson was presented a New Testament at his high school graduation rehearsal. Uh, Bonnie Barnett found a New Testament in a box in the trunk of her car. And Elio Fernandez received a New Testament in a Cuban prison. And by reading God's word, they came to faith in Christ. So here's, here's again what John said. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And I want to tell you, you open this word, you begin to read, and I believe what will happen is the Holy Spirit will come alongside you. He will teach you, he will show you, he will guide you, and life will result eternal life because of this marvelous book. 
But also, what Scripture does, it provides examples for life. It not only creates life, it provides, it provides examples for us. I was reading, the old, reading this past week, I was reading in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is, is really, it's filled with just epic stories and bigger-than-life personalities. And you look at that and you go, because if you've read the Bible at all, you, especially the Old Testament, you have story after story after story, and you go, okay, those are great stories, but what's the point? What's the point? Well, here's the point. Paul said it so well in Romans 15. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to do what? To teach us. And the scriptures, I love this, give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So when I read about Gideon, or I read about Noah, or I read about Daniel, or whomever it may be, whatever personality or whatever story, something happens, it encourages me. It gives me hope when I see three young boys who are thrown into a furnace that is filled with fire. And a godless king says, I thought we threw three in there, but now there's four. What's going on? And one looks like the son of God. And they come out of this fire and you go, you don't even smell like smoke. What just happened? I'm telling you, when I read that, I realize that the fires that I might face, I've got someone with me. He's with me. He's with you. Teaches us. He gives us hope. He gives us encouragement. Well, also, it's inspired by God. You say, what does that inspired thing mean? Well, let me read you a portion of Scripture from 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God. And I love this. And it's useful, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Something that's inspired has literally breathed into. It's been breathed into. And it's been breathed into by God. It's literally God breathed. But it's also the product of God's creative breath. So when you see, when you read the word of God, you realize that God has breathed life into this. That's why it creates life. That's why it provides a path for life. That's why it's an example to us. That's why it's trustworthy. That's why it's, it's eternal. Because God has breathed it. This is, a, this is alive. This is something so powerful. And that leads us to this thought. It's active. God's word is active and alive. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than any sharp, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The significance of this verse cannot be overstated. God's word is alive and it is powerful. It is inspired. God has just breathed life into this. And I want to tell you, he cuts straight to the heart of your life and mine. I'm going to say it again. It cuts straight to the heart of your life and mine. And maybe that's one of the reasons we don't engage with the Word of God more than we should or more than we do. It's because it just cuts too close to home. We don't like what it says. It challenges our perspectives. It, it it cuts between the things that we think that should be okay when they're not. It challenges our lifestyle. 
We go, wait a minute, I like this. And it's just easier to not engage or not read it. Beth Moore says something so wonderful. She said, when God's word is deliberately internalized, it will be authentically externalized because it is no longer what we do, it's a part of who we are. And that's good. That's so good. We begin to live it out. It becomes a part of who we are. Finally this morning, it's God's word. It's God's word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ, the morning star, shine in your hearts. Look at this, above all, you must realize that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about or came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. What you have is God's word. The author of the Bible is not 40 different writers over 1,500 years. It's one author, one author. His name is God and he breathed life into those who would pen his desires for us to have a relationship with him and for us to experience life. Samuel Rutherford was a 17th century pastor and theologian. And here's what he wrote. Here's what he said. He said, believe God's word and power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences. And that is so so important. And I consider, as I consider that phrase, it's why the Bible, more than any other source, person, book, or philosophy, is where I can find answers to my questions. It's God's Word. So as we conclude this morning, I want to read you one more portion of Scripture from the book of Proverbs, chapter number one. A proverb, just so you know, a proverb is a commonplace truth or a useful thought, okay? A commonplace truth or a useful thought. So here's what I want you to do for just a moment with me. I don't want to do damage to this text, but I want you just for the sake of our conversation this morning to take that word proverb and just expand it a little bit to God's word, the collective of the word of God. Listen to what Solomon writes. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel, their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables and words, the wise and the riddles. You see, we learn from this that in God's word, in this wisdom that has been provided by God himself, we, discipline, wisdom, how to live right. 
I'm just going to say it. Are you ready? Here it is. God's answers, God has answers to our questions, and they're in his word. This is where it is. So, we'll, we, we have to read it. We, we need to study it, trust it, live it, obey it. And when we do, our questions are going to be answered. Others may be created, but we can still have a source to which we can turn. So I'm just challenging you this morning. Find a way to read and study the Word of God. It is time to stop making excuses that I cannot do it. I do not have the time. I don't like reading. I don't know what it is. If you don't like reading, listen to it. Study God's Word. Engage with God's Word. All of you got smartphones. Well, 98.33% of you do, or more. version. Right now, some of you are on version, enjoying the message and looking at the, the notes and the scriptures. There's all kinds of reading plans there. Find a reading plan that works. Find a way to study and read the Word of God. And I'm also going to challenge you, begin today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'm going to put it off until it's convenient. No, do it today. And here's how you can start. Just start with one proverb a day, for heaven's sake. You can do that. Five minutes. You say, Gary, that's not going to make a difference. Oh, it will make a difference. Because this word is alive and living and active. It will change you and challenge you. It creates life. It will challenge you at every, at every turn. Begin with one proverb a day. Start with reading the story of Jesus. You say, well, I want to read Leviticus. I would suggest don't start with Leviticus. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Just don't do that. That comes later. Start with reading about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read the story of Jesus. You're going to find something to be true. What an incredible and compelling person Jesus is. Not was. Is. Because he's alive. God has answers to our questions. And they are in his word. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. It is is so magnificent. And I pray, Lord, that right now, to those joining me online, I pray that you would give us a desire and a hunger to engage with the word of God unlike any time in our past. And Lord, I pray that life would be created in the name of Jesus through the power of your word. Let it be so. Right now where you are, if you don't know Jesus today, his word declares that none of us are righteous, not one. That all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And our only hope is Jesus. So today, would you invite Jesus into your life? And, and I, I, we've, we've already said it. God's answers are in his word. And I just quoted to you the truth of each of our lives. And you see, if I carry that a little bit farther, I learn that the payment for that sin 
is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So would you receive him today? I'm going to pray in just a moment, and as I do, if, if indeed you're asking Jesus into your life, just pray with me. Just acknowledge that, and then let us know. Let us know in the chat. Let us know by an email that, that I've come to faith in Christ today. If you need prayer, let us know by an email. Just prayer at go to crossroads.com. We will pray with you. We'll journey this with you. But let us know. Most important decision you can ever make. And then one last thing. Engage with the Word of God. Start today. Start today. God's answers, God's answers are in His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. And I pray right now for those who are watching us online. They haven't made a profession of faith. They would do that right at this moment. Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my life. Take charge. I declare you as the Lord of my life. Direct me from this moment forward. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Thank you for the life that comes through your word. And Lord, for all of us today, when we have questions, let us engage with your word. Let us trust what you have given to us. We gratefully, we gratefully say to you, thank you for providing us the answers to the curious questions that we have in your word. We give you all the thanks and praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today online. Blessings to you. We look forward to engaging with you this week. Join us at 714 tomorrow morning for prayer. That's on my Facebook page, so come and join me. Come and be my friend. And you can always find us on our Crossroads page as well. Thank you for joining us on YouTube or Facebook. Let us know that you're there. We want to continue this. We, we want to start a connection. Yeah, we want that connection to continue. Blessings to each of you. Have a wonderful day. And I pray for the favor of God to be upon your life, that this would be the best week you've ever had. And I look forward to meeting you personally, maybe even on the 27th or before at baptism on the 20th or however. God bless you. Have a great day, great week. We'll see you again soon. Blessings to you.